Hi, everybody. I'm Brian Norcross. This is podcast number 11 of Hurricane Season 2019, along with meteorologist Luke Doris. Luke, our first podcast post-Dorian. It is. We were. It was all resources deployed for Dorian and uh, podcast. We had some during it, but then, then after, you know, we've, uh, we're just getting back in the grind now. Yes, well, we are. And, and actually, we had said that we were going to have uh, a couple of authors on with us mm-hmm. uh, talking about the 1935 hurricane and the hurricanes in the Keys. They'll be here next week. Uh, but today we're going to talk with local 10 reporter and anchor Janice Fernandez, who if you watched our coverage on local 10 in South Florida, you know that she and her photographer Brian Eli rode out Hurricane Dorian through those harrowing days and nights in Marsh Harbor in the Bahamas. There were many hours And overnight, the we here at the TV station had lost contact with Janice and Brian, and we did not know what was going on. It was scary for all concerned. So Janice is uh, fine. Brian is fine. They're back here, and they'll be along in just a moment. We're recording this on Tuesday, September 10th, 2019. If you're listening at some point in the future, you've got to tune into Local 10 or check the Max Tracker app or the Local 10 weather app for current information. And this podcast is brought to you by the folks at Dade County Federal Credit Union, where you they care about you and your family. Stay safe and worry-free this hurricane season and prepare your home. If you need funds to help you get started, then apply for a DCFCU signature loan today and get up to $20,000 with rates as low as 6.9% at Dade County Federal Credit Union. All right, uh, let's talk about the tropics real quick uh, right now. Dorian is no longer on the weather map. It's uh, just uh, dissolved into the North Atlantic as a typical North Atlantic kind of storm caught in the polar jet stream. Now, Luke, you were here for Irma and now this one. So what are your thoughts about these monster hurricanes and how we respond to them and you know how they're sort of dealt with in the in the real world here, as opposed to looking at them from a distance. Well, it, the awareness here is totally different, of course. I mean, when when it comes, the anxiety is one thing that gets me. You know, when, when one of these storms comes close, Irma especially. I mean, Irma we saw coming from a long way out, mm-hmm. and it was aimed right at us for a long period of time. And, uh, you know, there are a few times in weather, in the weather enterprise, where you see awareness and anxiety built for so long. So there was that. They certainly seem more common, too. These monster storms... Part of it, me being more involved, living here, you know, in South Florida versus in Nebraska is where I lived mm-hmm. before. But just the word record seems to be common anymore. I mean, we had Harvey, we had Florence, we had, you know, Michael was a tremendous storm. Dorian's a tremendous storm. Irma was a tremendous storm. Maria was a tremendous storm. And the perception, for me anyway, is that we are in a hyperactive, at least, uh, period for, for incredible storms. Um, and I know that we have those from like 2005 was another one uh, where it was like that. So it just seems like I'm in the thick of it right now. And yeah. it's, it has been since I've been here. Yeah. Well, I was really pleased with people uh, in Dorian, maybe as a leftover from the Irma experience. People really paid attention. They yeah. paid attention early and uh, there wasn't the big frenzy at the stores. And partially, I think, because, you know, we took our foot off the gas at a reasonable time before the worst of it. 
right? There were, I'm sure there were many people that really were not ready if it had actually come here. And a bunch of people didn't evacuate that would have needed to. So it's a little different kind of situation than Irma, where we felt a bigger threat, I think, in Irma. Well, and two, Irma was the first, well, I don't know about the first, but a giant threat. And before that, there hadn't been major a major storm in, in South Florida for some time. Right. So, um, you know, to have that one come our way was a different one than this. Now maybe people are a little bit more aware. You know, we have a lot of people, like myself, that moved here from other parts of the country. Maybe that was their first, you know, experience with, with a dangerous hurricane. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And certainly the first time in uh, the new version of Miami, the, this incredible metropolitan world city downtown kind of thing that people have moved into apartments uh, now that, you know, never experienced it before. Uh, I think that's probably part of it. You know, when we look at that uh, footage coming out of Marsh Harbor, the part, the shots that were taken in the residential neighborhoods, and uh, we'll open Janice's mic here in just a second. In fact, go ahead and open Janice's mic right now. Um, that, because you were here, Janice Fernandez, uh, reporter extraordinaire for on the, <laughs> on the hurricane. So congratulations, <laughs> and it's wonderful to have you back. No, thank you. Uh, you were here, uh, you were alive and, and functioning during Hurricane Andrew. What I was going to say, barely, I guess, but what I was going to say, and I know you've seen a lot of pictures, that the... The shots in the neighborhoods, not not along the water, not in the kind of shanty towns, you know, in the poor areas, but in the neighborhoods looked like Hurricane Andrew, where the houses were just wrecked. You know, you could see that they were there, but this roof was torn off and this one, the garage door was blown in and the windows were out and that kind of thing. Do you did you make that connection at all? You never really got out there. I guess you've only seen that on video that that part of it when we were evacuating marsh harbor was when we got those aerial shots because we were sort of secluded in our resort Mm -hmm. the whole time for for safety reasons because there was debris on the roads there was still storm surge and we really couldn't leave so when we did this sort of lap around the island and we saw the neighborhoods just decimated Mm -hmm. it was incredible to see really in person because like you said hurricane andrew is only about four years old at the time, not trying to age myself, but <laughs> I was very young and I, I remember vaguely my parents taking all of us after the storm to drive around because they were curious to see the damage as well. But most of what I know of Andrew is what I've seen in photos. Right. So this was sort of like reliving that or reliving a moment that I had lived, but really didn't. Yes. So it was... It was a crazy moment for for not just as myself as a journalist, but as a person who has grown up in South Florida. And I've dealt with, I felt like I dealt with plenty of hurricanes, but I don't think anything in my lifetime will top Dorian. And what really got me, we hope, we we hope, hope. what really got me, and you sort of mentioned this at the top of the podcast, we talked about the new Miami since Andrew. And I remember the, the thing I thought about, I talked about this with Luke the other day, was as we were leaving Marsh Harbor, I questioned how would Miami have handled Dorian, mm-hmm. this new Miami? Because I just, I I know what a storm can do, but when you really see it and you realize, wow, Mother Nature is more powerful than any of us can even begin to believe. Yeah, that, it was, well, it's one of those top-end events. Thankfully, they don't happen too often. But as you said, as we're finding out, they can happen with relative uh, frequency. So, this was my my perception of it, not having seen it in person, but certainly seeing a lot of pictures of Dorian, is you have the residential areas that kind of reminded me of 
Andrew, the storm surge areas where you just have this these debris fields, right? There's just nothing really standing ex- and except there's lumber and splinters all over the place and concrete block oh, spread all over the place. You know, that remind me of, of Katrina and Camille in southern Mississippi because we think of Katrina in our minds. We think of New Orleans, right? And Mississippi, really, that's where the real hurricane was. The New Orleans disaster was an engineering mm-hmm. disaster, right? The real hurricane was in Mississippi where they had nearly 28 feet of storm surge, more storm surge than even in Dorian, uh, all along the Mississippi coast there. So it just took out what was there. And in, in Camille, there's about 24 feet of storm surge. And I remember driving down U.S. Highway 90 after Camille and looking north. So Camille, so Highway 90 was right on the Gulf, and and one of the lanes was missing, or one of the half the highway was missing. So, but looking north, you couldn't see anything but debris fields. That's all you saw from the highway, and occasionally a wall sticking up or something like that. Same kind of, same kind of thing, you know. And and I also uh, I was in uh, the Philippines after. Super Typhoon Haiyan, which oh, yeah. which was, you know, on the scale in theory slightly stronger than Dorian when it came ashore, 195 miles per hour as opposed to, you know, an estimate of 185, both being estimates by the way, uh, and it was the same thing along the coast, along the, where the water was, it was pure debris, just debris. That was all that was there in the places where, you know, the the people that were living difficult lives settled because that was yeah. the land they had available to them, right? So, so uh, these things, uh, you know, I, in my mind, this is a way you can compare and judge the strength of hurricanes because we don't see that. In every, we don't see that complete devastation in every storm that comes along, which to me, to me confirms that even compared to uh, Michael, that this was a step up. Mm-hmm. Right. This felt like it was more complete uh, devastation than Michael. If for no reason, maybe one reason would be the length of time that this thing was there, oh. too. Mm-hmm. I mean, right. to, to have a top end storm that stops uh, is, is not what Michael did. It's no. not what Andrew did. This is different where it would just stayed over. And, you know, some of the uh, the damage that I've seen is. It remind we we use the term tornado. It looks like a tornado. I don't really like that term because tornadoes have sub vortices in them, and these are like mini tornadoes around one parent, really you know circulation. And you think it's one, but it's many, and those exert more force than just you know wind pushing in one direction because well, the wind. Yeah, but jostles. the hurricane is not a, a strong hurricane. It's not that different. It's just the scale is different, right? There are. Uh, meso meso vortices sure. rotating around the eye wall that are stronger but than the background hurricane. My point is, is that when you see a high end tornado, and only in a high end mm-hmm. tornado, you see debarking of trees. You see just weird phenomena, and that was present in this storm. So even though I don't typically like to compare hurricane damage to tornado damage, this looked like tornado damage. I mean, there were debark trees where it looked like they were sandblasted. I'm sure that they were sandblasted by 180 gusting to 220 mile per hour winds. And it was complete and just total devastation. It's funny that you say that because while my parents were watching your coverage, they really depended on on Brian, Luke, both of you and all the meteorologists because they couldn't get in contact with us. And what was funny was my my dad had said to me since I've been back and he said, you know, when Brian Norcross uh, and Luke Doris uh, talked about the similarities between a hurricane and a tornado 
and that it was just sitting there, my dad thought to himself, oh, no, that's oh, really bad. Your poor dad. <laughs> yeah. But it's funny that you mentioned that because uh, for we've never really experienced a tornado and my father hasn't, but he's seen the images. So for him thinking that he knew this is really, really bad. And of course, knowing his daughter was there added to the anxiety. But uh, but but the wind was was just crazy. And when you're walking through the storm, the times that we had to sort of make moves, the rain that was hitting us felt like needles of how fast yeah. the wind was hitting us. And I, I again, I, I know what hurricanes can do, but to see this storm toss around cars and roofs and doors and houses like they're just paper toys. It's it like you said, it's a phenomenon. I you can't believe it. Well, if you think about how it works, the the reality of it, as the wind gets stronger, things start to fail. Right. So mm-hmm. that's what the building code is. It's it's in theory to raise the threshold when things start to fail. So if you build a house to South Florida standards, to Miami Dade building code standards, which is which are the the code is only used in Miami Dade and Broward County, the exact code yeah. uh, in the state of Florida. Then they use a decent code, but a weaker code in much of the rest of the state. Then they use the weaker code yet in the Panama City area for most of the time that that city was developed. What about keys? Uh, and the keys use a slightly different code, but it's a it's a good code. Okay. And so that sets a, a higher threshold. Each, each higher code sets a, a higher threshold. But other things happen at a threshold, too. Cars flip at a threshold, right? In Hurricane Andrew, we saw two-by-fours that were impaled in palm trees, right? We have, uh, I have a picture on my wall at home of a two-by-four impaled in a palm tree oh. about 30 feet up. It's in your book. Yeah, it's in the book. Oh, yes, it is. It's in, it's in the book. And uh, plywood impaled in a palm tree, a sheet of plywood going through a palm tree. There were, were photographs of slivers of wood impaled in concrete curbs. So they're just moving, you know, exactly at the right angle to go into the curb. And cars flipped over inside of a garage. Wow. You know, just think. So that takes a level of wind that most hurricanes don't have, right? That just takes this exceptional level of wind. So we only get those crazy things happening at these ultra high ends. So we ought to really clear up what the numbers mean. So the estimate of 185 miles per hour as a a peak wind in Hurricane Dorian, first of all, it's only an estimate at this point because the National Hurricane Center will analyze all of the data, including data that was not available at the time they were making the initial analysis, and come up with a final estimate probably after the first of the year. Usually it takes several months for all, all that to accumulate. So that's the, so that's the working estimate. And then the gusts are estimated, again, at at 220 miles an hour. But that's just based on a percentage higher that gusts normally are over the water related to sustained winds. So the 185 is sustained winds based on the U.S. way of defining that, which is average winds over a minute. So inside that minute, there are these peaks, and the gusts are trying to define those peaks. Those are averages over three to five seconds. Now, in tornadoes... The wind speeds that they talk about for the enhanced Fujita scale, the EF scale, those are gusts. Mm -hmm. 
So if you're comparing the hurricane to tornadoes just from the get-go here, you don't pay attention to the 185 number. You only look at the estimated 220 number, so you're into EF4, solid EF4 territory there. No. They right? taught us in college. Uh, yes, yeah, that's yeah. right. They taught us in college. I don't know. I'm not a wind engineer. I don't know <laughs> if this is true or not. But the the professor had said that tornado uh, winds, because you know of them being a vortex, a small mm-hmm. complex, you know, vortex that's going to uh, uh, theoretically your your whole structure could be uh, experiencing the entire vortex. That's three times more damaging than if you were pushed on one side by, let's say, a straight line wind. I don't know if that's true or not. Well, it's it's partially true, but what that doesn't take into account, I am sure, is the fact that if you have a house and the wind is blowing at the front of the house, say, mm-hmm. you have this ultra-strong wind blowing at the front of the house. First of all, it's not kind of a laminar wind. It's very gusty and pulsy, and anybody that has ever gone through a big hurricane knows that the wind doesn't go just roar. It, it comes in bursts and woof, yeah. like, and that kind of thing. Yeah. And yeah, anybody that. that went through Hurricane Andrew talks about that's when the front door came in, when we got this big surge. That's when things failed. Mm. So that's the first kind of flaw in that engineering argument because that discussion doesn't take into account that the forces involved in those pulses. You know, if, you're, if you want to get through the front door and it's locked, you don't lean on it. <laughs> you bash it, right? Yeah. Right? So the gu- the gusts are the bashing. The sustained winds are the leaning, right? So that's the first thing. The second thing is that if the wind is hitting the front of the house, the air that's actually hitting the front of the house is not going through the house, so it has to go around the house. That means more air is going down the sides and over the top than would be if the house weren't there. Right? Bernoulli effect. Bernoulli effect. Oh. So, so now you have faster wind along the side of the house than you do at the front of the house. So let's say it's 100 miles an hour hitting the house. It's something faster going down the side of the house. So the suction forces on the back corners of air being pulled away is being pulled away stronger than it's being pushed at the front. So the strongest forces on the building normally are on the back corners of the house and we saw in hurricane andrew where windows were popped out yeah out that's what happened with jorian right uh on those back corners so if you're going to choose a condo for example way (laughs) up in the air and you're going to choose where in the building you want to be and you want to have hurricanes on your mind as opposed to the view you want (laughs) to get your condo in the middle of the building because in the middle of the building, no matter what direction a wind is coming from, you're not going to get the strongest winds on that building. The strongest winds on that building are going to be on the corners. I can attest to that because my hotel room was in the middle of the building. And even though we couldn't get in the room until the storm really passed through, when I walked in the room, we ha- I had some water in the room, which was normal. But otherwise, everything was fine. But when we consolidated with the ABC crew, they were staying in a condo and it was a two story condo and it was in a corner and everything on that right side corner was gone. The glass door just poop and the window just poop. And um, it held, the, but it got sucked out, it got right? Sucked yeah. out. And right. then the middle of the condo where we all consolidated was totally fine because there were no windows. So we all consolidated there. And the the sound of the wind you could hear so much more 
from their condo than just in the middle of the hotel, you know, middle of the hotel building. You could definitely hear it more. But I was so surprised by how how easy it was for for the weather to get into a room in a sense because there was so much pressure. The building, of course, is shaking. Your ears are popping like you're on an airplane. And then light fixtures just would pop out and the fire uh, alarm just popped out. And then you'd see the bubbles on the wall because that's how the water's getting in. I was just so surprised that weather will find a way (laughs) to get into your home. Even if you're all closed up and boarded up, it'll find little spots to to come in and cause some damage. Yeah, well, that's what we found out in Hurricane Andrew. The the building code here was pretty good before Andrew. Now, it wasn't enforced. There were a lot of really crappy houses built. But even the ones that were, you know, up to the building code more or less— they the storm found a way to exploit every flaw in the building code and the idea of the new building code uh, that has been updated since 1994 went into effect of late 1994 and it's been updated a number of times since the idea was to plug those holes to (laughs) stop that from happening right so now every single part of the house has to meet the same standard here and that's what makes the miami building code so extreme, but also so special in uh, situations like this. Before, uh, we want to talk about your experience there, but I I want to mention Grand Bahama because uh, you were on Great Abaco, Mm -hmm. and Grand Bahama had a whole different experience. So Grand Bahama is this big, long island. Uh, The west end of it is Freeport, and we had some uh, coverage out of Freeport. We we saw a video out of Freeport because they didn't completely lose everything in Freeport. They had a big flood on the northern side, but uh, infrastructure continued in a general sense of Freeport. A lot of people lost power and so forth, but not everywhere. And so people were able to function and get video out, and we kind of were aware of what was going on in Freeport where we were not aware in on uh, Great Abaco. But the eastern end of Grand Bahama, which is the opposite from the Freeport end. Freeport's on the western, toward the western end. On the eastern end, which is not terribly populated, but there are people living there, that's where Dorian's reign sat for that whole time that it sat over top of Grand Bahama. So the satellite estimates were about three feet or more of rain there. And the same thing on the northern end of Abaco, of Great Abaco, and of Little Abaco, which is the very northern part of that chain. Uh, just sat there, and we, to this moment, I haven't seen any video or heard any, you know, definitive reporting out of there, but it's hard to imagine if you have three or four feet of rain uh, on a a relatively flat island that you don't have serious problems. It's just hard to conceive. But anyway, I just thought we should should acknowledge (laughs) what went on on Grand Bahama as well. So, okay, so let's get to the kind of the bottom line here. How are you feeling after all that <laughs> here now uh, a week later? Uh, you know, and, and what's your uh, overall thought uh, about the experience? It's been interesting being back because when we lost communication with the station, we, of course, in the moment are just focused on riding out the storm and making sure we were safe. So when I came back home and I saw how worried everyone was, Obviously, I felt horrible of how much worry I caused people, but 
when you're experiencing it, you don't, you know it's bad. But since being back and watching my reports, watching the footage we shot, even looking at stuff I just have on my cell phone, I realized the magnitude of what I experienced and what Brian experienced as well. Um, never thought I would be a storm chaser, so to speak, but but I felt like one being there. And yeah, so Brian Eli, yeah. The, yeah, the photographer. Yeah, yeah, Brian Eli, the photographer. Um, you feel a little bit of... Um, uh, of, of gratitude knowing that you survived a uh, category five so you sort of walk around thinking I survived a category five this was once in a lifetime and hopefully once in a lifetime I but but to be honest when we evacuated we both felt a big sense of, of guilt that we were able to evacuate knowing how bad the situation was knowing so many people were without food and water are still trying to get off the island and I can't even begin to fathom how they're going to rebuild. I know they will, but just to see that complete devastation, I, I don't even know where they even begin yeah, to, the, to the, start. The guilt thing, uh, I wrote about this in the book after Hurricane Andrew oh. because I lived about, I was in Coconut Grove, maybe seven miles, five miles, something like that, north of real devastation where you know houses were ripped apart and people's lives were really turned upside down and I was out cleaning up the landscaping and making a pile in the front yard doing kind of normal things although it yeah. was pretty extreme was, the, the pile was a big pile but all of us in my neighborhood in Coconut Grove felt that kind of guilt that we were doing sort of these menial cleaning up the decorations while people didn't have roofs on their homes mm -hmm. and were trying to get a tarp up on that house just to keep the rain, you know, from coming in. So they had a part of a bedroom that they could uh, subsist in just uh, a few miles away. It's, it is, it's a survivor's guilt kind of thing, yeah. I, I guess. It, yeah, it is. And even um, some of the friends that we met, who we met, who really helped us survive the storm and really were instrumental in just helping us out, putting us in safe places, uh, a lot of them have gotten off the island and they've contacted me, but some of them are still there. And we're, you know, we think about them. We're thinking, I hope they're okay. They really helped us out. And, you know, the Bahamas, they, they, they know how to handle hurricanes. And that was one thing I really wanted to present in my reports. The people there weren't lax. They weren't negligent. They, they were preparing accurately. They were boarding up their homes. They're doing everything they could. And, and just experiencing it, the, the sort of the message I would have for South Florida and really any part of the United States that could be hit by a hurricane is prepare, but but really listen when, when meteorologists tell you evacuate or when officials tell you evacuate. Like those are the messages that sometimes get lost because you know how it goes. Uh, you know, Dorian, we were in the cone for a while and, and it never fails. You get some of those emails from people that say, oh, I waited to get gas and I got all this stuff. And for no reason, you know what? Be thankful that Dorian didn't hit Florida. Be, be thankful and don't be upset because you think that the reports were wrong. They weren't wrong. Our meteorologists are great. They know what they're doing. But be thankful. And that's one thing that I've taken away that I will always be thankful that Dorian didn't hit Florida. And I'll be thankful for every hurricane that dodges us because I I don't I would never want a a hurricane that's a cat five even a four really any hurricane but I would never want it to hit South Florida mostly because I don't want our infrastructure to be tested it hasn't really been tested since Andrew and I'm thinking let's not test it let's let's keep everything intact um, but but it was it, it it really was something and I know it's an experience that will definitely live with me forever 
And and it, it, quite terrifying, to be honest. I was I, I was terrified, and a lot of people told me when they watched my reports they could hear it in my voice and see it in my eyes. But in the moment, you don't realize how terrified you are. But um, no, it was it, it, it was crazy. And I just I just really really hope message to South Florida is hurricane season comes. Don't take it lightly because you never know when it's gonna be you. Mother Nature picks and chooses whoever she wants. Doesn't matter if she's hit you before, if she hasn't hit you before. She's in total control. We're not. <laughs> well, let's talk about that and your, your experience because yeah. you're a South Florida girl. Yeah. And you lived in Louisiana yeah. as well. So another state that experiences hurricanes as well. What what hurricanes had you and chased or not chased, but you've been, you know, covering hurricanes with, as part of your career. What other hurricanes have you been through? Uh, one was Isaac. Isaac. Mm-hmm. Do you remember Hurricane Isaac? 2012. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hurricane Isaac was one of them. Um. I did while I was here, I attempted to chase Tropical Storm Gordon, which sort of ended up being a bit of a bust. I went to Biloxi, and it didn't even really touch Biloxi. Mm. And and not just hurricanes, but when I lived in the Panhandle in Pensacola, we would get really weird weather events that would cause just severe flooding, flooding that you would see from a hurricane. So I felt like as a reporter who grew up in South Florida, who lived in Gulf states, uh, and, and it has been by the water pretty much my whole life. I felt like I know what I'm doing. I can do this. I can handle any storm. And Dorian came and totally said, nope, you can't. But because <laughs> it's totally it's totally different. And obviously, you know, we got a lot of emails and we got a lot of calls from people saying putting me in danger and saying it was not a safe situation. But but, you know, we want to be very clear that when we got sent to the Bahamas, Dorian was only a category two and its path was still really unknown, which you guys talked about because it was so slow that it very well could have easily gone a little bit north of Marsh Harbor, could have gone south of Marsh Harbor. The fact that we were there and got the eye, there was no way anybody could have predicted that. So let's talk about that because you're at, let's go to that point. You get the messages from the boss, boss pulls you in, says, oh, oh you're going to the Bahamas. How do you feel? How are you, are you excited? Are you scared? Or where's your brain at? Uh, when when you get that news, well, you you know me, and you know I'm always down to to hop on a plane anywhere, and and I always like to be in the front lines of the big story. And there's a little bit of an adrenaline. Listen, we're all in this business because th- we do have that adrenaline. Whether we're reporters, meteorologists, there's a part of us that uh, our adrenaline kicks in when we really get to talk about something, and we know we've got a story here. We can really inform the public. So for me, it was it was a sense of I'm ready to do this. I'm ready to tell great stories ready to inform people, just just really ready to put the work in. And we, you know, we hopped on the plane on Friday, we land, and every day Dorian just intensified, intensified, intensified. And it was, which I thought was, I thought it was a little bit crazy. I, I, I guess you guys can let me know. But I remember on Sunday I was going live at 8 a.m. And you were on, Luke, and the 8 a.m. advisory came in. And I think at that point, Dorian, I want to say, made official landfall, maybe around 10, 30, 11 a.m. Mm-hmm. But it was at 8 a.m. that you said, Dorian is now a Category 5. And I'm thinking mm-hmm. to myself, this thing is only a few hours away. And it just decided, let me just take up all the energy I've got and become a Category 5. So we literally were on air. And at that point, there was absolutely no turning back. It was, what, three hours from landfall? Mm. Um but it, it was just crazy that we we got the eye. I had never experienced the eye of a storm, and that's a whole different beast, a whole different beast. And th- thankfully, 
the eye actually saves a lot of people, and in Dorian it did yes. as well. It really was an opportunity for people to find a, a better place. The same thing in Hurricane Andrew. So it sounded like the hotel that you uh, went to stay in, and, and it's been a hurricane Tested. Uh, it's been hurricane <laughs> tested, and it's been used as a a shelter uh, previously. It sounded like they had a plan. Uh, a good did, plan. Did you think it was a good hurricane plan? And, and what what was the basic plan? It was a good plan. And from the moment we we checked in, they obviously knew we were a news crew, so they told us, you know, we signed the waivers, like, hey, if you're here, by the way, there's a hurricane coming. I was surprised some tourists decided to ride out the storm, but a lot of them had arrived to Marsh Harbor by boat. So I think a lot of people just didn't want to leave their boats behind. But their plan was 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 great. They called us the night before. They called every single person staying at the hotel, and they said, here's the plan. We have this bunker, which is really sort of like a small ballroom on the first floor. They had set up um, some lounge chairs, some tables, some beds and they said we're going to be cooking breakfast lunch and dinner we have enough food for three days you're welcome to ride out the storm there if you feel like you want to be in your room that's at your own risk but they obviously advised everyone to ride it out in sort of what we called the bunker it had shutters the shutters you see here in south florida with the screws in and very tight and so we felt like it was good we walked into the uh the bunker and actually it was during the morning show uh, Brian and I, we walked in, we had a hot breakfast, we ate eggs and bacon, just, you know, waiting for the storm to come through. And I thought, we've got this. This place is so secure. We're going to be okay. And we obviously were not. Uh, we were okay, but obviously the devastation was just astounding. So I felt like they had a good plan. And and the GM even told me, um, he's he's been he's been there for a while. He said, this is the worst I've ever seen it. And everybody I've spoken to, uh, people who have lived in the Bahamas for 60 years, and they've said, this is the worst I've ever seen it. So I think the hotel did what they could. And even after the storm, they went room to room to make sure everyone was okay. Thankfully, everyone was at the Abaco Beach Resort. And even though the structures were pretty much standing, the sort of the, the I think there was about three main buildings. They were concrete. Um, pretty much every room sustained damage. If it wasn't windows, it was water damage, which water damage is obviously a, a pain if you've ever had flooding in your home. And the the check-in office, not only was it pretty much leveled, but it even moved. So the building even moved a little bit more than where it was. Obviously, all the boats in the marina came up to shore the bungalows there were some bungalows they were gone uh tiki huts gone and it was during the eye that when we were able to call in that we switched directions because we sort of asked ourselves storm surge or wind and we went with wind so that's when we went higher ground and we sort of risked the idea that maybe our roof would blow off but we were really worried about the rising water just because we saw how the water was rushing like a river it's not just water that slowly rises it comes and it comes fast um but i'm very thankful that we made it i'm thankful that everybody at our whole uh, resort made it but they they had a plan they had a plan and and people in the bahamas they all had a plan either they evacuated or they hunkered down so that's that's sort of the scary part is that you can have a whole plan and you can be ready, but it may not be enough. Mm-hmm. Well, you and I, we had an interesting moment on air. It was you, know, you yeah. were doing your live coverage. It was that morning uh, and everything. It was a little odd because it, it didn't seem that bad. No, it, the eye wall was not far from you. And you were able to perform your segment and do your what we call a hit, do your live yeah. hit. Uh, pretty much your hat was on. I mean, it was a little gusty in the back. You would say, "Ooh, it got a little windy. And then I got a little alarmed because I thought this 
this the whole landscape's about to change. She, I, I don't know if she understands. So I wrote you an email. Yeah, and I got I, it. And I, it was a strongly worded, brief email, uh, warning you that hey, things you're not in it yet, but it's about to. Were you surprised when it hit? So surprised, so surprised because I, re- I was thinking exactly, exactly what you were thinking. I was thinking is true, which was, oh, this is not. It was bad, but it wasn't that bad. I yeah. could still stand on my feet. We were under an awning where we weren't really getting directly hit by the wind. I thought we were going to be live on air for a while. I thought the Wi-Fi in the hotel was going to be fine because it just, I just thought, oh, maybe we're, maybe it's not as bad as we thought. Maybe we're not getting the gust. And, and the minute that, um, well, my cell service dropped, so then I was only getting iMessage. And so then Brandon was using his iMessage as well because I saw your email and then Brandon was sort of writing on both your behalves. Uh, Brandon said, get inside right now. I is coming. And that's when we went to hide out and everything changed. It just snap of your fingers. All of a sudden it was like, hey, what you saw was uh, just rain and here's Dorian. Here's Mm -hmm. the real Dorian. And the real Dorian was aggressive, relentless, that eye wall, the second eye wall especially, and I I could be wrong because obviously we were hiding out, it felt very long. It felt like it lasted a really long time. We even sort of joked with each other when we woke up Monday morning and it still felt like we were in an eye. We we joked with each other and said, is there a second eye or something? Are there two eyes to the storm? Like, why is this still a hurricane? The second part was really just, I, I mean... It was crazy. And, and whiteout conditions. So you really couldn't see a lot. And then it was that quiet with the actual eye when we walked around. And that's where it looked like a bomb went off. Hmm. And I thought, I remember thinking, oh, no, we have another wall. This was the first. And now we have another one. And this is what it did. Whew. So at that point, that's when, um, that's actually when hotel staff went room to room and told everybody you have to come downstairs but again at their own risk some people still decided to write it out in their rooms because we started getting a lot of people seeking shelter at the hotel so the hotel just uh couldn't uh, we ran out of food they ran out of food in, in a day they had enough food for three days for a hotel guest mm-hmm. but then all these people from a nearby community and people just getting washed up that had nowhere to go of course they're not going to turn them away they ended up riding out the storm in the bunker and so uh all of a sudden, the hotel doubled in size for people trying to seek shelter. So, so the first half of the storm, that's where you are, is the bunker. What, what's the bunker like? Tell us. So we were actually in the fitness center. That's um, So if you, if you walk in, there's this hallway, and you can either go to the right, which is the fitness center, or go to the left, which is that ballroom. So it's all sort of connected with each other. Yeah. The difference was the fitness center had the windows uh, were not covered. I was told there were hurricane impact. I think that was mostly true. Um, at least for the first part of the storm. And so we saw everything through the window and the door, uh, it's one of those doors that you, you push, you push open and the door just could not stay shut. So it kept flapping back and forth, back and forth. And Brian, my photographer and I sort of held onto the door for probably a good 10 minutes because we knew that if the door either flew out then the storm would come in or if it smashed, it would not be a good situation. And then that's when someone who uh, works with boats at the hotel, David, he came in and brought a wire and literally tied the door to the weights in the fitness center. And that prevented the door from really flying out open. Um, When we came back later after the storm, we saw the door was completely smashed. So it didn't make it through the second half. So Mm. we made a good decision in leaving that little fitness center. But what was, uh, I hate to use the word cool, but what was 
sort of interesting for us is that we got to see the storm because the windows were not covered in shutters. So we saw the just the trees snapping and everything flying. I mean, railings from balconies. So even walking around the hotel after the storm, when you're walking on the second floor, just imagine being on a balcony and there's no railing. It's blown off. And what surprised me the most the window situation that we had talked about how the windows and you said happened in Andrew the windows were just sucked out and again I was told that a lot of the windows that were not boarded were hurricane impact and they were sucked out but then also the shutters being ripped off because these are sort of things we're told to do to prepare for a hurricane and uh it wasn't enough for, for some areas. Yes. That part was shocking. So for- right now, the, the way the Miami Building Code works, the Miami-Dade Code, is it's not just the shutters that have to be strong. It's the anchors that have to be no. strong. So one of the failures in Hurricane Andrew on, on places that had shutters, the shutters failed in one fashion or the other. Quite often they were ripped off because they weren't anchored. Correctly. Strong enough, strong right? Enough. People didn't know; they just mm-hmm. didn't know because the shutters worked most of the time, right? Yeah, but they wouldn't work for these extreme things. So when the eye came, you and I were on television, actually <laughs> speaking, right? And and then suddenly, you heard somebody screaming. Yeah. Something was happening. What what was that about? That was such a moment because I was walking around with hotel staff, and then we just heard someone screaming for help. And at first we thought, are these just people screaming? Are they, what are they yelling? And as we started to follow the sounds, we could hear it very clearly. There were, there were people yelling for help. So we started to run um, because I knew at that point that if someone needed help, I, I had to figure it out because there was no way I was going to leave somebody behind. And the hotel staff felt the same way. So we started to run, but then we reached sort of this end where there was this uh, these stairs that led down to the parking lot and the parking lot was full of water and the water's up to the windows of SUVs. But through the trees, we could see this family of four just being washed with the rushing water. And we're yelling at them, swim, swim. And thankfully, on the other side of the resort, there were people there. So they were able to pull that family out. What makes the story sort of bizarre is that we met this family the day before we were just getting ready to do a live shot they came by to get lunch at the hotel and they were just chatting with us they told us they lived at the community next door that they were riding out the storm they felt confident it was it was two uh young girls a mom and a dad and so when we saw that it was that family rescued and we thought we just met them the other day Mm. they were okay but Uh, As we've shown the video on Local 10, the video is just, it's so scary to watch because you could see how much they're struggling and even the best swimmers would have a problem in storm surge. You would have a big problem in storm surge. It's just, it's not. Yeah, they were all fairly young people. Yeah, yeah. that were fit and able to swim. Imagine if they'd been elderly or something. It it wouldn't have have gone so well. No. No. So the wind and the water obviously switched directions yes in the second half and indeed the second part of the storm was bigger and it was just fatter you know so it was a longer duration and remember dorian was slowing down so you ended up under the second half longer but uh, josh morgerman who also rode out the storm oh in, yeah i was in, following his tweets in marsh harbor he also said the second half <laughs> seemed stronger now it's hard to know exactly because everybody was kind of shell-shocked by that time, yeah. right? So emotionally, it might have been different as well. But how did it feel 
Did you like dramatically notice? Oh, now everything's happening the opposite. The, you were really conscious of the wind and everything coming from the other direction. So not totally conscious about it because we literally switched directions as well. So at one point we're facing where the water is and that's where, um, and then the second part we faced the other side. So we were basically facing north when it started coming from the south. Right. That so the second half yeah, came from So the it basically south. felt the same because in the first half of the storm we were facing south and it was coming from right. the north. So it, it looked the same, just we were facing an opposite direction. But, but we... And I don't know, and actually I was talking about this with Luke, and we were sort of uh, curious about this. I, I don't know if this was a good idea, but when we were in the hotel room, this man, David, who really helped helped us out and saved our lives, he advised us, and again, don't know if you're supposed to do this, he said we should leave the door open to relieve some pressure from the storm, and he said since the wind is coming from behind us, the debris is going to be sort of going in that it won't be coming in our direction it'll be flying in the opposite direction of us so we don't have to worry about debris flying inside so he advised to leave the door open to relieve some pressure I will say that some of the rooms next to us did um, have doors fly out um, and windows and stuff like that that didn't happen in our room I don't know if that was a a, a good survival move I I wouldn't advise people to keep a door open but he seems to think it would have relieved pressure. Well, it's know. a traditional idea. Okay. The, the <laughs> advice these days is to keep the house sealed. Right. Uh, so when you open a door on the back side, on the downwind side of a building, if you think about it, the pressure on the downwind side of the building is actually lower than it is on the upwind side of the building. So, you know, just think about it. The wind is hitting the building, the hotel or the house, right? And so it's compressing the air on that side. It's raising the pressure on the front side, right? And it's raising the pressure inside the home some. In fact, that's what makes your ears do that business because you're getting the, the low pressure from the hurricane, plus you're getting the pressure fluctuations due to the wind going, ooh, 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 on it on your house so that's making the pressure go up and down and your ears are very conscious of that well on the back side it's sucking the air away from the back side of the house right as the wind is flying by so the pressure there is lower so if you open a door you actually lower the pressure inside of the house now you might stop it from going up and down quite so much because you kind of equalize it with the outside but you actually do create lower pressure inside the house which creates a bigger differential with the pressure on the front which can actually make the house be more inclined to fail so you the net net is yes it, it may even out the pressure some in the house but it it can also create this bigger differential on the front side so on the upwind side so uh the advice is to seal keep, keep the door <laughs> keep the doors and windows closed right so, so we touched on this just a second ago that the the back half of the storm we saw it on satellite and radars is much bigger oh. and the storm's slowing down uh take us through the second half of the storm from from the hotel what, what's going on in the hotel through the second half this longer slower period so that's where we're in the room and again we we sort of had that unique perspective where we have the door open, so we're watching it all fly by. Um, what first happened was I was sitting in the bathroom because, as we always are told in situations where storms are bad, go to the bathroom, go to the closet. So I just said, I'm hiding out in the bathroom. And I happened to look up, and the ceiling started to rip off. 
and I quickly move and it was the drywall that fell off. So then there was a big hole where you could see the rafters. So it was obviously the drywall wasn't the entire. Some um, water got in there. Yeah, somehow. some so, water so got in. Chunk just fell off. Big old chunk fell off and mm. I was quick. <laughs> I ran mm. real fast and then I went into the closet um, because I wasn't going to stay in there. And then watching the storm, the noises are just so are so loud. Obviously, as, as stuff is being thrown around, it's just the noises you hear. It literally makes you jump. Uh, but we saw the building right next to us. The roof just completely flew off, I, 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 and you could hear it just like a <sighs> blown off. And then just debris after debris. Uh, we saw the the uh, we did see the generator that they said was a very good generator, and in retrospect, it was. Uh, toppled over so that's why we lost power the generator just totally gave up but um there was basically a a park a parking lot in front of us and the at this point we went from the parking lot with water to a parking lot that looked like a junkyard and everything just started piling up in the same spot and you just saw everything and anything from uh from doors to to windows to the roof to pieces of the roof to pieces of a car to trees just anything you could think of just started piling up and because I, the storm no, surge is pushing it all pushing there. it all yeah and then as as night when the night comes that's when it, it gets scary I couldn't imagine going through that storm in the night that would have been really scary because you really can't see anything so thankfully it was during the day so we could at least see a bit of what's going on once um this you know I, I think up around really five it started to get dark because obviously we're in the middle of a hurricane so it got dark a little bit faster maybe closer to six uh that's when we we sort of closed the door at that point and we attempted to to get some rest but you know there's water on the floor there's those bubbles on the wall and the water's leaking through the wall and the, the building is still shaking so getting any kind of rest at that point was completely I mean, that wasn't happening. We tried to doze off for maybe 20 minutes and we'd wake up because the wind just kept waking us up and it would have those those gusts that you mentioned where you'd hear like that constant wind and then all of a sudden that that really big gust and would wake us up. And that was really the big reason why we, we didn't make contact uh, because it was just too dangerous for us to go outside and use the sat phone. And then even at night, even even if at night the conditions were better, we probably still would have refrained from that just because we wouldn't be able to see anything. Mm. So we knew that in the morning we wanted to establish contact as soon as we could. But even when we did, it was still it was still bad. The eye wall may have passed, but it, it was still that the needles um, from the wind from the rain because of the wind. There were still lots of debris all around, and it, it was just a storm that just never ended. But Definitely the backside was, I felt, worse than the first, just in terms of the damage I saw. Um, And I I just, I can't imagine what it must have been like for people who were inside their homes and and were in a home where their roof flew off or were in a home where the water rose. That, that's terrifying. That, that is just, I can't even imagine what that was like for them. So how did you finally decide it's okay to go outside and and then once you went outside, did you limit where, how far you went because it was kind of scary out there? Or what was it like outside the hotel? So around 8 a.m., we, uh, we we were sort of dozed off for a little bit. And then at 8 a.m., we, we, we just listened and we felt like the wind did not sound as bad as it had before. So we walked outside and we saw some more people walking around. 
And the, the thing with the sat phone that's kind of scary is you have to be in open space to make the call. So it's not like you could just make it from your balcony or you can make it inside your room. So I let my photographer, Brian Eli, who is much stronger than me in a physical sense, uh, make, the, make the call because if he got blown away, there was no way I was going to be able to stand. Not that I wanted him to get blown away, but he was more of a pro than I was. And he stepped outside. He was able to make the call. And uh, we didn't walk too far. We stayed sort of in our little area. And then we were able to establish contact. And then after that, um, the hotel staff actually had to break into our rooms because we key cards didn't work anymore. But they broke into our rooms. I grabbed my stuff from my room, put it in Brian's room. And then a couple hours later, we made a decision to find the ABC crew and stay with them in their condo, mostly because their condo was further away from the main hotel and, and what was happening was we were just getting a lot of, of of people coming in that were looking for shelter at the hotel so we felt as a news crew let's just stay together let's go stay in this town home and I, to be honest again we talk about that survivor's guilt we had a satellite phone but we had to conserve battery this was our lifeline back to the station and back home and and we we did let some people use our sat phone, the people who helped us through the storm. But I, I know that when people saw us with a phone, they wanted the phone more than anything else. But we and again, we let some people use it. But at some point we had to make that decision of we have to conserve battery because this is our lifeline. So we felt it was best to sort of be secluded in the resort for the remainder of our stay there. And, and, and the ABC condo got real beat up. Uh, one room looked like somebody went in there and just threw everything around. And that's the crazy part is when the wind came in and the furniture just sort of rearranges, you sort of rearrange all the furniture, the fridge even moved. Um, table, just a huge wooden table, the dining table just pushed back. Uh, that was, I mean, their condo got really bad damage. They actually wrote out the storm in a utility closet that was um, a concrete utility closet, they ended up telling us. But... But but I mean, we stayed pretty much on the resort um, until we evacuated just because we didn't know what we were facing in terms of storm surge and debris throughout the rest of Marsh Harbor. And actually a police officer at one point came to the resort and he told us that he came by foot and he had to walk 80 minutes Whoa. because they couldn't drive through the streets. So that's just how bad the, the damage was. Now they're able to drive around because they've moved a lot of the debris, but in the and, and you have to, and again, all of this is going on, we're still in gusty conditions. When we evacuated Tuesday, it felt like a tropical storm where we were in the helicopter leaving. So you couldn't venture far from the hotel, it no. sounds like. But, you know, I imagine in a catastrophe, desperation builds in. It if does. you've got a family, you're trying to get resources, or uh, things, you know, could get aggressive. And did, did you feel any of that? Did you feel uh, that there was danger uh, from maybe people that were trying to you know, take care of their own and get aggressive. Did, did any of that strike you? I knew that in any storm situation, it happens here in South Florida, it happens in any place where a storm hits, that people do get desperate, and that's when you start to see the looting. And I know a lot of reports are coming out from the island that there's been, you know, situations like that. In the moment, since we were still in the storm, uh, there, there wasn't, we didn't really have any situations where something would happen to us. But we did see a lot of people walking to the resort. We would see them because we would, we had a balcony, the one balcony that was left standing, and we could see people walking down the road, coming to the hotel. And, and you know these are people seeking shelter, but you also have to think about yourself and the situation you're in. And you have to just sort of be mindful of everyone that's making their way to the resort. And we actually had people knock on our door and ask if anybody was staying in the rooms next to us. 
asking if they were vacant and they weren't there were people staying there so we we're like no there's people in those rooms but the gm told me that some people just literally would find empty hotel rooms that were open or condos and just sort of go in there too because they had no shelter they had no place to go so you, you can't really fault them for that because these are people who are looking for a place to stay but but as the days went on from a lot of the people we met at the beach resort they told us things started to get get worse that's when the desperation set in so we sort of left right before that desperation yeah, set in. it's actually it starts three days after and it was three days we left yeah most people can can survive in a bad situation for three days but but that's about the time that it settles in in your mind that this is not going to be three days it's going to be three weeks it's going to be oh you know and then this one after hurricane andrew it ended up being six days Oof. before there was uh, any kind of security in South Dade. And that was that end of the week was the desperate time because uh, people were so tired and thirsty and hungry. And uh, it was clear that there was not going to be a quick resolution. So that really changes the people's thinking. And I could understand that just from being there. I remember by the time Tuesday came around. So Dorian hit on a Sunday. Tuesday would be around day three. Not just the we don't have power, we haven't been able to shower, but the fact that there was still a storm that built in that frustration and desperation. And I remember just saying to the crew, if I have to eat one more peanut butter sandwich, I'm going to lose it. (laughs) You know, because you're just at that point where you've sort of reached your wall. But uh, I knew we were going to get off and you were going to get help. But if I had to stay, let's say a week or so, I, I... I don't yeah. think I would have done anything, but I probably would have lost my mind a little bit. Or more. Look at the people that are there now. So so do you think you, you would do it again? And, <laughs> and how, is, how has this changed your perspective on hurricanes in South Florida? I get the question a lot if I would do this again. Uh, there's a part of me that I feel like in the moment I'd probably be crazy enough to say, all right, let's do it. But then there's another part of me that kind of thinks – Maybe I shouldn't tempt death again. You know, maybe one and done. I did it. I've got my uh, badge of honor, if you will, as a storm chaser, an amateur storm chaser. So maybe let's not do it again. But in terms of it totally changed my perspective of hurricanes. I I even remember being in high school um, and we had a couple of hurricanes come through in 2005. And I remember when you're in school, you get a hurricane, you say, yay, we don't have school. We have a couple days off. It was almost like a snow day up north. You know, we would be strangely excited about it and that is just not the perspective I have anymore that perspective of thinking oh it's just a hurricane we're used to it or it's just a tropical storm we're used to it because the truth is you could get hit by a cat five and you could just happen to be in a spot where nothing really that bad happens but if you're just in that spot where you're really getting the brunt of it it changes everything and I happen to be in the brunt of this one so for me I will never underestimate a hurricane ever again so it totally changed my perspective and in a weird way and I and I wish I had a better way to describe this because I don't want this to come across the wrong way but I have such a respect for hurricanes in a sense of in a weather perspective this really sort of respect for how strong they are how 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 powerful weather is um, I know, obviously, you guys are weather geeks. I mean that with love. But so I'm sure for you, when you see it, it's you have such a respect for Mother Nature. You sort of realize you're not in control in many situations when it comes to any sort of storm, whether it's a hurricane, tornado, or earthquake. So I have this newfound respect for it. And with that respect, I, I know that if we were to get hit by something like that, I would 
obviously I'd be working. We would all be. But I, I told my, my family, you get out. You get in your car and you get out and don't come back until it's safe. Like, I would make sure my entire family leaves. Evac- evacuate. If you're in evacuation zone, get out. Yes, and get out early. Yeah. All right. Uh, anchor, reporter, extraordinaire hurricane chaser <laughs> from Local 10 here in uh, Miami. Denise Fernandez, thanks so much for thank being you. with thank us. Thank you, Denise. And thank you for your work. It was uh, extraordinary. So, Luke, uh, you've chased some tornadoes in your time. How about, uh, what do you think of hurricanes now? Well, <laughs> usually when you're chasing tornadoes, you don't get hit by them. <laughs> yeah, <that's true. laughs> A little different. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, the thing, if you're going to compare the two, is one of them is so... I don't want to say unpredictable, but it is more in the moment. So you can see the, you know, with the tornadoes, hey, it's a day that could produce tornadoes. And then from there, we just wait and see what happens. And then, boom, you have a tornado. Right. Uh, So the hurricanes being such a long lived event and one that if uh, let's say you're going to be a Janice Fernandez and you're going to go be put in the one, um, you know, I feel like you have more time to prepare, but it's a much longer lived event and a lot more things can go wrong with there being more time for things to happen. Uh, and, so, and you really, most people cannot get out of the way. Yeah, right? there's just no practical, physical way for most people to get out of the way. People that have the means to go to the airport and get a plane to somewhere, quite often they can get out of the way. But, but uh, for most people, they have to deal with it in the community. So most people in South Florida, for example, will deal with any hurricane that comes along in South Florida. Good news is we have the strongest buildings. Uh, in the state and in the country for hurricanes here. So there are plenty of safe places for people to go. That doesn't make the aftermath any more pleasant, but it means that people should be safe. It's a different thing. Yeah, it totally is. Yeah, it's a different thing. So uh, it was an extraordinary event, and we'll learn more about Dorian as as time goes on. And we watch developments, uh, uh, tragic, more tragic every day in the Bahamas and and having lived through the Hurricane Andrew experience and knowing that this is in uh, kind of a notch up from Andrew in terms of strength, but also it's in the Bahamas. Uh, you, have, you don't have the resources of the U.S. government to, to come in and, and, uh, and help, and you don't have people up the road to come in and help. In, in Andrew, we had people in North Dade and Broward that went down to do some things immediately. But you don't have that uh, in the Bahamas. So all those things contribute to it being a more difficult and tragic situation. And Janice said something yesterday. I don't think she said it on air today, but we were having a discussion, and she made an interesting point. And she said, you know, I hope that we don't have any more hurricanes that come this year, especially for the U.S. And, of course, obviously because we don't want any more damage, uh, but because it could take away the focus of the Bahamas. And we, we, we want, you know, as much of a light to be put on that as possible so that they can get the help that they so desperately need for such a long road ahead. Yeah, well, that was uh, part of the Maria issue was that was the third in line yeah. that year. And uh, resources and attention and whatnot were put elsewhere. It was also part of the Michael issue because that was kind of the fifth in line uh, after two years of big hurricane disasters. It'd be the last one, yeah, and or the one before is uh, indeed difficult. So it was uh, turns out it was a hundred years ago last night, actually, uh, and through today, today uh, through today, a hundred years ago, that the Great Hurricane of 1919, it's estimated to have been a Cat Four, was moving through the Straits of Florida, 
So it moved just south of Key West, and it was very slow. So Key West was pounded, 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 pounded by this hurricane. It wasn't the worst hurricane ever in Key West. That was in 1846, but it was a bad hurricane in Key West, and it kind of stalled there overnight. In fact, it had that, that uh, connection to Dorian. Well, there was a cruise ship from Spain that got trapped in the storm, tried to get into port in Havana, but the people that ran the port said, no, it's too rough. You can't come in here. you got to stay out uh, offshore and uh, ride out the storm. So the captain, who was an experienced captain, decided that's what they were going to do. Well, that was the last time anybody heard from that ship mm. was when it communicated with the port in Key West until the ship was found sunk uh, about midway between Key West and the Dry Tortugas, 40, 45 miles to the west of Key West. The thing is that when they found the ship, they found the lifeboats were still attached to the ship. ship was underwater, and they never found any people. There were almost 400 people on that ship. They never found any bones. They never found any corpses. They never found any people. It's one of the great uh, mysteries of hurricanes and shipping and shipwrecks and and so forth. That, that boat was called the Valbonera, and that hurricane is quite often called the Valbonera Hurricane because of the mystery of the Valbonera. Seems like a special that you would see on the History Channel. <laughs> yes. You know, what yeah. happened? Well, there, uh, there is a documentary in Spanish uh, that I've seen about the Valbonera. There are photographs of it, and the ship is still there. People go dive it today. What's, what's the prevailing theory? Uh, I don't know that there is a prevailing theory. I, I guess that maybe the Sharks came and got them or something uh, because there were some days before they found the ship and really went down. Divers went down to investigate and proved that it, this wreck that was kind of partially sticking out, it's on a shoal down there called Rebecca Shoal. So the Keys uh, that we think of today, that most people think of the Keys ending in Key West, but they don't really. They continue all the way on to the Dry Tortugas, where Fort Jefferson is. And in between, there are, first of all, the Marquesas Keys, which are these small islands sticking up. But there are also underwater shoals that are sort of islands that are sunk, right? And so they're very dangerous for, for shipping. And there was a lighthouse on the Rebecca Shoal, but probably that wasn't working or it uh, I don't know what happened in reference to the hurricane. And who knows what happened on that ship, right? They lost power. They lost steerage. They lost something. Who knows? But uh, I, don't, uh, I don't know that there is any, any definitive uh, story about it. But it is one of the legacies of the great hurricane of 1919 that ended up going and creaming Corpus Christi, Texas, uh, eventually. And that was 100 years ago uh, today actually, that that hurricane was passing, was just past Key West. So next week on the podcast, we're going to talk to author Willie Dry. Willie has a new edition of his book, The Storm of the Century, the Labor Day Hurricane of 1935, which, uh, according to modern estimates, would have had equal winds with the with Hurricane Dorian, 185 miles per hour. But the pressure was significantly lower. So the pressure was 892 millibars. The Dorian pressure is 910 millibars. So this whole issue of pressure and wind speed of top hurricanes, as when we talked to Dr. Jack Bevan at the Hurricane Center a few weeks ago, remember, uh, the, the question of what is really the top wind in hurricanes 
is an open question today because of these modern instruments we have that are showing these really extreme winds in isolated areas, and we don't know if they're real. So they're be currently being discounted. So uh, SFMR winds? The SFMR winds, right. So that's the instrument that's on the Hurricane Hunters that looks down at the foam of the the water, the ocean water, and from that foam it detects the wind speed. So anyway, the, the, this is all going to be very interesting uh, over the next probably be a couple of years of examining the winds in these top-end hurricanes, and we'll see if there's some reevaluation of the other strong hurricanes that are in the record book that we don't have SFMR winds for, but we have pressure readings for, and perhaps there'll be some rethinking of that. Anyway, it's going to be interesting. So the 1935, the great 1935 hurricane, we're going to talk about that next week with uh, Willie Dry about his new book, and Les Stanford is going to be on uh, as well because he wrote uh, just a great, great book. It's one of my favorite books ever called The Last Train to Paradise, and it's about the Flagler Railroad from Miami to Key West, the Overseas Railroad, which is really uh, an accomplishment. Uh, some people equated it to building the pyramids or landing man on the moon. It's just this incredible engineering uh, invent new ways to accomplish this never-before-done thing. Uh, and, and the book is about that, but it's also about that in the face of doing this from 1904 to 1912, the first train rolled into Key West, uh, they had three big hurricanes, 1906, 1909, and 1910, that uh, they had to deal with. Three, uh, and especially the 1906 hurricane, was a deadly hurricane. So, We'll talk to less about that. If you have something you'd like us to talk about on the podcast, write to us at weatherpod at WPLG.com. Weatherpod, uh, together, two words together, at WPLG.com. Today's podcast brought to you by the folks at Dade County Federal Credit Union, where they care about you and your family. Stay safe and worry-free this hurricane season and prepare your home. If you need funds to help you get started, then apply for a DCFCU signature loan today and get up to $20,000 with rates as low as 6.9% at Dade County Federal Credit Union. That's our podcast for this week. For Luke Doris, I'm Brian Norcross at the WPLG Local 10 Podcast Studio in Miami. Have a good week, everybody. And keep the hurricanes away. We'll talk to you next week.